0: Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. That's not right. You can't do that.
1: Well, biblically, though, an idol is anything that we live for and serve and we put in the place of God. In other words, it's anything. It It could be power, money, culture, standing, anything that we choose to take God off the throne of our lives and put this in there and love it and serve it and pursue it and treat it as if it were our God. And our city is full of things that we replace God with. And this is the bad news, is that whatever we choose to serve and live for, if it's not God, ultimately enslaves us.
0: Hope in God oh my soul, he is strong, and he is strong. that takes the lord off of the throne of our lives is considered an idol many believe that they don't have an idol because they don't have a carved wooden image in their home that they worship however if there is a hobby a job a car a person that you put before jesus it is an idol the lord comes first in our lives or we will become enslaved by whatever we allow before him if it's money for instance then there will never be enough you'll kill yourself working for more and more. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 16, for part one of our message entitled, Missionary Work in Our Own City.
1: Well, we're gonna be opening up God's word this morning in the book of Acts, chapter 17. You know, when my mom was younger, She did missions work both in South Africa and in Israel, and so I grew up hearing stories about the missions work that she did. I grew up hearing stories about her being in South Africa, where it was hot as blazes, and they were drinking cups of rooibos tea, and there were places with awesome names like Pretoria. And I remember as a kid my imagination being fascinated by that and by her time in Israel where... They were being shelled at different times, right in the middle of a war zone almost where people would be at the pool, but their Uzis wouldn't be far away. And, and just these, these amazing different worlds that I, I thought, man, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be there and, and to be a missionary no less, to, to be there and trying to somehow communicate the gospel to these people in this city. I remember thinking, man, I wouldn't be able to talk to them just the way that I talk to people here in America. I mean, I'm sure they have a different culture. I, I, I'm sure they wouldn't understand if I just went up and, and gave them my little four or five point gospel presentation that I have for, I memorized in, in Sunday school. But we don't think like that in America very much. I mean, we, we kind of assume, you know what, we, we all kind of know, we, we're all kind of on the same page, right? So we don't think we need to think like missionaries anymore. But once I, I heard a pastor named Tim Keller use a really helpful illustration about this. And, and he said, look, basically, looking at the study of history, a few decades ago in, the, in America, everybody kind of had a cultural understanding of, who, of, of, of the gospel. In other words, people kind of knew more or less who God was. People kind of knew more or less who we were in light of God, kind of knew who Jesus was. And so you'd have these really effective, large evangelistic rallies and crusades because people already knew who God was, who we were, who Christ was. They needed to be called to a response. In other words, they already had the knowledge. So they needed a preacher to go up there and tell them, you need to believe this and live your life like this. And he says in many ways, we could, that it was our silver bullet. You know, having somebody go up there and call for a response would get immediate results. And this is what he said. I remember him at a conference saying this. He said, we have no silver bullets left. For us as American Christians, we have no silver bullets left. We have no quick fixes, no one-size-fits-all programs, as America has, has multiplied in its diversity and has lost and is continuing to lose its religious trappings, its religious cultural knowledge. So in light of this, what do we need to do? Well, I think in light of this, it means that we must all be missionaries, We must think about our city and country as if we were in South Africa or in Israel. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to listen in and watch the Apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest missionaries next to Jesus who's ever lived, and we're going to watch him bring the gospel to a radically different culture than he's brought the gospel to before. And as we watch him and understand how he thinks like a missionary, I think by God's grace, we can learn from him. Now, Paul did, you're probably thinking, okay, Paul did have a unique commission. You know, I'm not, I'm not thinking that we're all in the same league as the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul is playing NBA basketball, and we are like the guys that play pickup games at album at like 10 a.m., before the good people really get there, you know, in the afternoon. I mean, at least that's when I played. So maybe I don't want to push that on you, but try to get there before the good people were there so that I didn't get embarrassed later. Paul plays in a different league, but we're playing the same game. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he tells the Corinthian church, he wants them to imitate his concern for outsiders to be saved. And he writes, Look, give no offense, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. And the next verse Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, he's saying, look, this is the way I live my life. I live it in such a way that many might be saved, and I want you to imitate me in this. I don't think Paul meant for the churches he planted to just stop and plateau. I think he meant them to also be missionary churches in the cities he planted them in. So here's the big idea this morning. The main thing that we want to understand from our text this morning is that understanding the city around us should lead us to speak the gospel to the city in an understandable way. Understanding the city around us should lead us to speak the gospel in a way that people can understand. So we're going to look at this in three sections. First, that understanding the city leads us to grieve. So we're going to pick up the story in chapter 17, verse 16. Now, when Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So Paul Paul had to flee Berea. Remember last week, he was in Berea preaching the gospel. People came, kicked him out. He had to flee for his own safety, but he left Silas and Timothy to try to wrap up the work that he began. So he's waiting for them in Athens. And while he's waiting there, he gets provoked, right? You notice that word provoked? Maybe you've been provoked. He was deeply troubled. He was restlessly agitated. He couldn't sit still. In other words, this, this got to him on a, on a deep, deep level. This isn't just, I'm annoyed. This is, he's, his spirit is moved within him. And he's moved because of what he sees around him in Athens, At this point in history, Athens was long past its glory days, but it still had huge cultural significance, huge cultural standing in the world. And this city was absolutely full of idols. A writer of the day said that it was easier to find a god than a man in the city of Athens. I mean, I, I, the way I picture this is it's almost as predominant as advertising is for us today. I, that's kind of the feel you get of how many idols they had. It was just, here's an idol, there's an idol, boom, boom. I mean, there's bigger temples, little temples, little, little monuments, big monuments. I mean, you just walk around and Paul sees this. And, and, and rather than snapping some photos and texting his friend like, you are not going to believe where I am, Paul is deeply grieved. He's grieved. And and honestly, if you read the text of Acts, he didn't plan on evangelizing the city of of, of Athens. In other words, he was just waiting there for his guys to arrive. This was off of his path that he had chosen for himself. He's, He's there unexpectedly. But he can't help but preach the gospel after seeing this city. So this is the question for us today. Does understanding the idolatry of our city lead us to grieve and are we grieved enough to preach? I think that's, that's the question today. Because you may be thinking, okay, look, I know El Paso isn't perfect, but at least we don't have giant idols everywhere. I mean, that would, I would, that would be concerning, you know, if people began putting up giant gold and silver and copper statues. That would be concerning. You'd think, man, we would, we would like, protest that. I mean, that's not right. You can't do that. Well, biblically, though, an idol is anything that we live for and serve and we put in the place of God. In other words, it's anything. It could, be, it could be power, money, culture, standing. Anything that we choose to take God off the throne of our lives and put this in there and love it and serve it and pursue it and treat it as if it were our God. And our city is full of things that we replace God with. And this is the bad news is that whatever we choose to serve and live for, if it's not God, ultimately enslaves us. Let's, let's take a walk for just a second through the city. Take a walk through the city. And you'll find people obsessed with materialism as you walk by the advertisements in storefronts and hear the conversations of people. This week, we were at a park and some guy came out and he had a tiny, tiny little sedan. I mean, the thing was like an Aveo or something like that. And he brings out, because he's moving out of his apartment, he brings like a 50-inch television out of his apartment and is trying to fit this thing into his tiny sedan. And I I just like, I got... I just, I just wanted to see if he could do it. So I just kind of watched him for 10 minutes. And I just kept thinking, you know, this guy, what in the world? I mean, you get, get a grip on your priorities, bro. But you know what? We do it all the time in, in less kind of obvious ways. We live for the next car, the next house, the next pair of shoes, the next guitar, the next iPad. And in our culture, materialism is not only okayed, it's encouraged. We are supposed to be this way. I mean, you watch an hour of television, you'll be bombarded with the worldview that you don't have enough. In order to be happy, you need to get this thing or that thing. But this is the bad thing that we often miss is that materialism enslaves people. It puts people in states of constant anxiety because they never have enough. They never have what's going to make them happy. And since they're not happy, they think that the solution is buying more stuff. And this ruins your life. This lands you in bankruptcy court. This destroys marriages. There's an idol here of status. People can become obsessed with status. They'll pick a group they want to be accepted by. The rich, the cultural, the proud Chicanos, the NRA, the hipsters. And they make the point of their life being accepted by that group. And here's the problem. That will lead you to death and not life. There's no group that you can finally be accepted fully by that will make you happy. And even if you are, you will live in constant anxiety about losing your status. And for a second, if you lose your status, you have no meaning. There are also people here obsessed with image. They have to look a certain way. They have to be current enough or fit in enough They have to be fit enough or thin enough or hot enough. But this leads to people being enslaved to their reflection in the mirror. It leads to anorexia, to bulimia, bulimia, to starvation diets, to never-ending pressure. It leads to suicide. And even in in a city where we have much good in terms of our culture, even good things can become idols. See, there there are many people here, I, I wonder if they're replacing God with their family. I mean, I thank God that our city is very family-oriented. But but here's the thing: if you replace God's position in your life with your family's position, it will lead to death. Because you are putting on your family a weight that it was never meant to bear. You're saying, I must find my happiness and fulfillment, and enjoyment, and life purpose in you. And nobody can stand up under that. That's what splits families apart. There are countless idols all around us, idolatries of relationships, of being powerful, of of the well-manicured lawn. We live in a city of people running after and striving after things that will bring no life. And if these people continue without being stopped, their road will end in death. Death. All of the idols make false promises that if you will just love and serve me, I will make you happy. I will fulfill you. You will find meaning and purpose and joy forever. And none of them, none of them, not one will deliver. And when you get to the end of that road and you find out it doesn't deliver, it only lands you in despair. See, God sees this and it grieves him. And Paul, walking into the city of Athens, sees this and is grieved. And it should grieve us as well. And look, if you hear you're not a Christian and you, you wonder, okay, what's the big deal about, you know, believing in Jesus? Why is everyone so obsessed with getting me to come to church and finally believe in Christ? It, friend, it's because we, we see the roads you're on and we care about you. And we have to tell you that that road will not end in life, but will end in death. That's why we care. Now for us, too often as Christians, we, we are not grieved. Now, I was at a conference recently where one of the speakers gave this quote out, and I can't remember who the quote's by, but it's been ringing in my head for the last two weeks, and he says this, that the world will do everything it can to make sin seem normal and make righteousness seem strange. See, we are in a current, and where the current leads is to sin being normal and righteousness being strange. Rather than us thinking that sin is an aberration to God's creation, which which it is, sin should cry out to us, this is wrong, this shouldn't be this way. And yet everything in the culture is, no, it's normal. It's fine. It's okay. And we get this in in TV shows where, you know, you you can watch a TV show and and never realize, you know what, these these characters are witty and funny and smart and and cool and interesting, and yet not one of them is sexually faithful. Not one. And, And you know what the message there is? This is normal. You know what's strange? Righteousness is strange. I was convicted about this this week. The more that we allow the world to condition our versions of normal and strange, the less we'll be grieved by the sin around us. I mean, if we grieve personally over sin in our lives, we're going to grieve over it in the lives of others. Understanding the city around us should lead us to speak the gospel because we can't help it. In other words, we should be grieved into preaching. So think about it. Are you grieved by the sin around you? And if if you're not grieved, why not? Is it because sin has become normal to you? Maybe there's a sin in your own life that has been dulling your conscience that you continue to engage in that dulls and dulls and dulls your conscience so you can't feel anything. And are you making time to inform, inform yourself with a biblical view of what's normal and what's strange? First, understanding the city should grieve us. But second, understanding the city helps us speak now, in just a second, in this passage, Paul is going to preach to the Areopagus, this great council of Athenians. Who's going to, who, they're going to decide whether he can preach his message in the city or not. But Luke spends a lot of time describing his audience before he describes the message, which is interesting. So let's, let's explore this a little bit. And I think here's, this is why Luke spends some time fleshing out the audience. He's trying to show us that Paul understands his audience, and this helps him preach the gospel. And so for us, if if we in El Paso are going to think like missionaries, we're going to think about how do we get the gospel in a helpful way to the people around us, we need to look at what Paul did and learn from him. Look at verse 18. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some of them said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others said, well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. And then Luke's little editorial comment in verse 21. Now, all the Athenians and all the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Luke introduces you okay there's some some groups of people here and none of them really understand Paul's message there's two groups especially he points out the Epicureans and Stoics and these groups are super different and the Epicureans believe that the gods were basically uninvolved in human life and in light of that we should just pursue pleasure but but in moderation in other words, they, they felt like, you know what, the gods are not going to be involved in our lives. So what we're going to do is we're going to pursue our own happiness by just, just kind of being moderate. Just kind of, you know, not too much of this, not too much of that. Th- that's a well-balanced life. You know, that's, that's really what we're after. And then the Stoics believed in a sort of pantheism where kind of everything is God. And, and the point of your life is kind of trying to live your life in light of the divine. I guess somebody had made an earlier version of Avatar that they had kind of latched onto or something. And they're, they're now... Not realizing they're just blue people. They're not real. So there's two groups. One believes the gods are totally uninvolved. One believes, hey, everything's God. And so Paul orients his message to people that are not Jewish and who have radically different philosophies. And what he does is fascinating. Let's, let's read the, the speech together and then kind of make some comments about it. And notice that when you read the speech, if you, ever, if you think like me, you know, when, you're like a te- when I was a teenager reading through the Bible, I thought, man, Paul didn't preach a long time. Why does our pastor preach for like ever I mean, I can read this thing in like two minutes, man. I wish Paul was my pastor. Well, Luke, probably what's happening is is the people in the Areopagus are not known for like short speeches, you know. These are extended all-day talks, right? So this is probably actually an outline of what Paul would say to the Athenians. So let's keep that in mind as we read. Let's go through it starting in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens... Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for And he's going to quote some some of their own poets here. In him, we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or an imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, later we'll see that after this, he gets cut off because they start shouting at him and making fun of him because he mentions the resurrection of the dead. But, but there's a few things that will be helpful to notice about the way that he approaches preaching the gospel. First, notice that he starts where they are and walks them from there to the gospel. I think it's fascinating. He finds a point that they have in common and says, okay, from here, I'm going to take you all the way to the God of the Bible. So basically what he does is he says, hey, you guys, I mean, he's grieved, but he's, you guys seem very spiritual. And they're probably thinking, yeah, that's right. I like this guy. You, you care a lot about pleasing the gods. You're very religious. And, in fact, you're so religious that you have a statue to the unknown god just in case you l- leave one out, you know. It'd be like if, if at Kara's wedding there was like a little placard somewhere that said to the unknown guest, you know, just, just in case, uh, you know, Uncle Larrabee from two generations ago, and, and third cousin kind of shows up at the wedding somehow, you know. That, I mean, these guys are just, they're covering their bases. They're saying, okay, you know, just in case we forget somebody, we're going to put up an extra one, which I think is hilarious, but I guess you guys are like not thinking that's funny, so that's fine. <laughs> I think strange things are funny. So, so he, he even quotes some of their own poets to show the similarities in his worldview. In other words, he's not endorsing, just so you know, he's not like endorsing all these Greek poets and saying, yeah, you guys should read the Greek poets. He's saying, okay, as, as whacked out as you guys are, here are like two things that are actually true. And I think probably line up with a biblical worldview, right? And, and, and the fact that he's doing this is, is so important if you look at the book of Acts as a whole, right? Because if you've been tracking Paul's speeches throughout the book of Acts, he doesn't preach the same message every place in the exact same way. For example, in, in Acts 14, he talks to a group of Gentiles, but they're peasant farmers, Right? So, and, and they think, remember, he, they think that he's Zeus and, and the other guy's Hermes. So he talks to them. He knows these guys are farmers. So he speaks about God to them in terms of agriculture. Talks about the God who gives rain and ordains the seasons and stuff. He, he's trying to, he's saying, hey, I mean, you guys get this, right? Well, in Acts 13, when he speaks to the Jews in Pisidian Antioch, he goes through literally the entire history of the Old Testament. All the highlights to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And then in Acts 26, he stands before Herod Agrippa, who's a Gentile, but very familiar with the Jewish culture. And so he kind of gives him a mix of both, Jew and Gentile message. You understand some Jewish things, but here's things you wouldn't understand. He preaches differently to different audiences.
0: Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong. shelves are packed with books touting the true way the church should operate. Some believe that everything should be done exactly like the first century church. How can we know if what we practice as Christians is truly biblical? The book of Acts details how the church functioned after the death and resurrection of Christ. Pastor Ricky will be gleaning insights for us from this book that will help us understand the church in this age. You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Alcantar of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message as taught at Cross of Grace Church can be downloaded from our website at betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place your order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church, we invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. For more information, including driving directions, visit betternewsradio.com. The theme music here on Better News Radio was provided courtesy of Sovereign Grace Music. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from the Book of Acts next time on Better News Radio.